0: Hello, and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Hello, welcome to Meet the Education Researcher, and today we're talking about public education with the educational philosopher Karl Anders Safström. Carl Anders is the Director of the Centre for Public Education and Pedagogy at Maynooth University in Ireland. In this conversation we talk about what public education means in the 2020s, in particular Carl Anders' take on the changing nature of public education in countries like Sweden and Ireland. But the main reason for talking with Carl Anders was to explore the history of thinking about the notion of public education. Predictably we talk about John Dewey, but Carl Anders is also keen to go back much further to ancient Greek philosophy, in particular the sophist movement from the 5th century BC. For him, the sophists hold the key to making sense of what public education could and perhaps should be. So there's a lot to think about here. To get us going, I first ask Carl Anders for a brief overview of how the idea of public education came to prominence in the 20th century.
1: I think a good place to start is, you know, that after the Second World War, one realized, you know, that there was what they called the fascist personality, which had kind of destructed Europe. So the programs that were set in to prevent that happening again was based on a, an idea of public education as a democratic education. So what they said was to, and this was particularly big American programs, but they also, as you know, historically was kind of implemented in Europe as well. Um, and, and that was that to foster what they call then the democratic personality. So that, that is a kind of historical context for modern forms of democratic education. We are now coming to the end of that period. Um, you know, so what I think what the economical twist into the, the neoliberal flooding of uh, the economic world, you know, the social world, the psychological world, whatever we call it, is kind of putting an end to that idea.
0: So how consistent is this idea of public education and, and democratic education across the world? I mean, we have a lot of different understandings of what democracy is. We've got a lot of different understandings of what public is.
1: When you talk about public education, it means very different things in different countries. You know, I'm Swedish, so... Public education was that built Sweden. I mean, I, as myself, wouldn't have been a professor today if we didn't have had public education in Sweden of that quality, which we had kind of thing, because big family couldn't afford it. uh, And so on. So maybe that's why they want to stop it. You know, people like me becomes professors.
0: (laughs) And people like you are professors all around the world. I mean, you're in Ireland now. And what does public education mean in an Irish context?
1: Public education in Ireland is the Catholic Church, but that have a history of oppression, you know, so there in Ireland is full of social movements that kind of react to that. And so the public education means something very different here. So we rather talk about the publicness of education. And, and, and then, where you get into the philosophy of education, because what is that? You
0: know? Yeah, so let's get properly into the philosophy of public education and, and the publicness of education. So, so, from a philosophical point of view, what are the key points of contention here? If we see public education as a contested space, I mean, what values underpin this struggle over public education?
1: I would say that it is, so the struggle of public education today is rather a struggle about democracy. It is a struggle about the values which are connected to democracy. And all these values are threatening, or threatened, particularly plurality, you know, the diversity and that comes from LGBT movements that are under threat. It goes to any kind of difference, immigration. Uh, Ethnicity, even you know, like in Sweden, they are questioning the original, the aboriginals of Sweden, the Samis, as really being Swedish. You know, and that's made by one of the largest parties within Sweden who have a third. So the, you know, so you see, there is a real kind of threat to the, what we have taken for granted in our liberal societies, and I think public education is the key. Site for struggles about these values.
0: And so, so the one name that will immediately come to mind when we talk about democracy and education for many people is, is John Dewey. So, I mean, to what extent does Dewey still shape our current ideas of public education? Which elements of Dewey's philosophy have thrived? Know, and why?
1: You know, there is this saying in the States, you know, one had to, for to understand American education, one had to understand uh, that it was Thorndike who won. You know, so Dewey has remarkably never had such a big influence on real policy, but always been a hero for educationalists because he is a, a kind of educational philosopher who takes education seriously kind of, and, and also has such a huge production. So I think he's, uh, he's important for that. He's a genuine educational philosopher. He thinks education, and ironically, few of them. I think for me, he's important because he thinks movement and change, you know, and so he's thinking in movement. So when he thinks there is no kind of starting point and end, but he thinks within that, which is the pragmatist kind of way of approaching to the world. And it's also rooted in everyday practical life, the life you actually live with other people and not uh, the world of ideas, but actually the way in you embody the ideas, in the practices you engage in. So like talking to you, it's a practice, you know, so I'm, uh, and, and, and it's not that I'm sort of now making sounds for ideas that come from somewhere else. It's actually a practice of talking and, you know, so, yeah, so it's another way of thinking. And also I think, but this is maybe sticking out my uh, chin a bit, but I think his uh, instrumentalism he's been criticized for have to be understood differently because I don't think he is instrumental in the way it's often pictured like he would be an expression of modernity you know in itself that education is just used for other means you know for them. but what is interesting with you, and that is particularly his uh, theory valuation from what is it 1939 or 36 i never remember that but something like you know what you can see there that when he talks about ends in views he put them within the presence of so in the means in the presence so he have an idea of the presence itself so it's not that he sort of set up this kind of classical modernist idea that you have an aim and then you have a means and and then sort of you will reach that end but it is rather more complicated for him because the ends in views are within the means themselves and that put him I think where thought and this debate is today, it put him in the presence of things, that we are here now kind of thing. And and it opened up. And what it also opened up for, and that is what I've been thinking more of, uh, ambiguity of that situation. So so his instrumentalism actually allows for ambiguity in a way which opens things up and also makes change possible in, so say, in ways that are not foreseen.
0: Which, which is all very fitting for these current times when everything seems to be unforeseen, uncertain, unknowable. Yeah. Now, in looking back a lot further than Dewey, you've also been rediscovering ancient Greek philosophy, especially the, the sophists. So first for the uninitiated, I mean, who were the sophists? What were they concerned with? And what brought them to your attention?
1: I'm, I'm not a historian, uh, in not even a historian of ideas. Um, uh, and uh, my interest in the sophists is purely because they are the first educational thinkers. So, they are the first dedication of theory. I read this uh, Van Jager classical works on Paideia, and it was just one of these heroic moments, you know, the closest you can come in humanities for a discovery. I mean, and I, w- I really want to stand up and almost swearing now because I get so excited every time I think about it. And it's so simple, and it's all been there all the time. What he shows there that the sophists they are democrats. This is, as I said, in times the 400, 500 BC, you know, and famous the sophists are Protagoras, uh, Georgias, uh, Eropides, There are kind of the three maybe famous one, uh, famous ones. But but what they do, they were strongly democrats, and they even thought, and you can see a division at this time, that there was. Uh, and what is more central for democracy is the concept of equality. So And they found this equality. So this movement, the Sophist movement, who are all see themselves as educationalists and are the ones who are the first to introduce educational thought in intellectual life. They believed that equality was the most fundamental concept of natural life, defined equality in geometrical forms, defined it in nature, Defined it in social life. So they were equality as the foundational concept for democracy, but it also for education, because they were educational. That's how educational theory is. So so the thing is, there you have in a profound way, and Jäger says this also, that what they open up for is the possibility to even think democracy. So what comes first is educational thought thereafter that make it possible to think democracy so democracy wouldn't exist if they didn't first have the idea of education
0: so can you can you explain a little more about how the sophists were making these arguments i mean these two concepts of padaya and areteia seem important here and especially how the sophists differed in their approach to when compared to say plato or aristotle
1: so the idea they have of education, and, and the easiest way to say that you know padaya is basically culture you know and Aretea is the way in which you carry culture. So, okay. So for Plato and the, uh, you know, for Plato, um, Aretea could only be inherited. And, and the, the aristocrats of the time had an idea of, you know, of uh, Aretea that, that could only be inherited. But the sophists is the first to say that Aretea can be taught and should be taught. The way in which you carry your society, your culture, in which way you embodied it, how you move with others, can be taught. And for Plato, that was not the case, kind of thing. So so there is so what you have here, you have a sharp distinction, and, because, and I've explored that in some of my publications now uh, lately. You know, what I call a democratic principle and an aristocratic principle. And you can still see them in education because it leads to a very different way of how you approach. Because if you, you know, if you have an aristocratic, if certain people already have, you know, abilities, skills, intelligence, we would say today. Then teaching is directed to find out who these people are and then bring that out. But there is only Believe. certain people who can have it. But the Democrats say, no, every, that's, that's something which is added to people. Aritea is something you educate people in.
0: I mean, so, so these are really radical ideas.
1: Yeah. And I like, the,
0: I like this idea of opposing the idea of an elite aristocratic approach to education. So, so what would a sophist idea of education look like today?
1: The sophist idea would be to expand the public. You know, it would be to, to move among other people kind of thing. Why the Socratic and the platonian Aristotelian way of thinking about the public is to restrict the public to certain people. So from that also, you can also imagine, you know, if you were into democratic theory, different ideas of democratic theory coming, you know, is connected to this way. It's, you know, it's not difficult to see, you know, either it's the elite who take care of, you know, because they can vote, they are, you know, or it's open actually to expand, to make new kind of connections with people, you know, also with these people you don't know, but you, and you can't know, as Levinas says, you know, in full, but, but you but you can have a way. And for me, this is the time of the day. I also read this crazy Italian, which I like, the um, uh, Bifo Berardi uh, kind of, and he he, he, he talking about uh, the ethical catastrophe of our time is that we can't uh, see our own sensibilities as extensions of others. Or, uh, you know, so he, we, we don't sort of be cut off. But with the sophist, that's exactly at the point where the sophist education makes sense because it actually do that. It connects the sensibilities to make the understanding of our own sensibilities are also other people's sensibilities. So it makes these connections.
0: Mm, yeah. That's, so shifting gears a little now, people outside of the Nordic countries often look to Sweden and Norway and Finland as exemplars of public education. Um in the 21st century. You're Swedish. So from an insider perspective, what are the, the tensions and struggles over public education in Sweden that might not be obvious to outsiders?
1: It's absolutely amazing what they have done in Sweden. The problem with socialist countries, with strong governments, is when they turn um, cruel capitalists, there is no defence of the individual. So the thing is then, when these sit, and this happened in Poland, you can see as well, You know so when these countries turn cruel capitalist, when there is no regulation of capitalism, but capitalism is to regulate itself, which is the neoliberal kind of idea, then there is no protection on the individual uh, themselves, you know. So there is no liberal laws in that sense. So I think that is one, of course, it's a complex explanation, but it's one explanation why you in Sweden, from having that public school system, now has the most privatized system in the world, where you actually have tax money transferred into profits for, you know, and not only, as I say, the old the grey capitalists, but, but the cruel ones, you know, the speculating ones. And they had the, the, the Swedish agency of schooling in Sweden was to couldn't find the owners, you know, of some big school company in Sweden because they, they are sold to a company, sold to a company who was then owned by Italian tire Tycoon, you know, (laughs) who owns Swedish school. You you see, that's where we are. That's the crude reality of Sweden. It's horrible, you know, and it's a good, good example to study in in which this goes terribly, terribly wrong. And of course, what's then followed is a sharp increase in inequality from being also one of the most equal countries in the world. Uh, Now it's just skyrocketing.
0: But people are presumably aware of these shifts in inequalities. I mean, what possibility is there for pushback against these trends?
1: People are aware and it's pushback. It haven't been, when I was there, it was not simply possible because, the, it in, you know, I read Foucault, you know, but to see this type of power, you know, uh, I mean, it was shocking how that was sort of imposed on on teacher education, on schooling and whatever. And teachers were, you know, I wrote an article about that that people didn't feel oppressed, they feel depressed. Because if you're oppressed, you still have, through Freire, you still have an idea of liberation. None. Because the, 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 it was so, so kind of massive. Today, as in this, it's changing kind of thing. And there is, shine. Uh, uh, people are tired of, also parents, ordinary parents are tired of, you know, that school doesn't work, that any um, in inflation, in, in, in what you call it, credits, there is, is so many things that happened that we all thought would happen.
0: Uh, and now are happening. So I mean, it seems that we've ended on a rather depressing note. But I, I like this idea of at least being able to shift from feeling depressed to feeling oppressed. Um, anyway, thanks ever so much for taking the time to do this, Carl Anders. And best of luck with progressing the century even further. Thanks a lot.
1: It was fun, Neil. Thank you very much.